Hello, Flight Instructors and NAFI members. This is John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors. I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the NAFI More Right Rudder Podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And this episode is the first episode post-AirVenture, and I just wanted to take a second and say thank you to all the pilots, instructors, and members who not only came to AirVenture, but came to visit the NAFI Professional Development Center tent. This is my first time back to AirVenture in several years, and just seeing the interactions with all of you at the NAFI Professional Development Center was amazing. And uh, I know that several of you came to our presentations and maybe joined one of the daily raffles and uh, maybe even said hi or joined or renewed. So it was great just to participate in all of that. And we truly, truly appreciate each and every one of you, especially if you're members. But uh, even if you're not, we still are glad that you came by and said hi. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, today's episode is actually brought to you by PilotSafety.org. Now, this is uh, headed up. It was started by a good personal friend of mine and a friend of NAFI and its members, Gary GPS Reeves, guy in the pink shirt. Now, PilotSafety.org, if you're not familiar, is a place where there are all kinds of super valuable training materials. There's videos on Garmin training, four-flight training, Avidyne training, single-pilot IFR, and, and so much more. And Gary has done a great job of taking some really complex information and making it really interesting to learn and sort of digest. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, Gary actually made me aware recently that uh, NAFI members have a discount. So if you go and you put in NAFI in the discount as a code, you'll get uh, a discount. If I remember correctly, I'm not even going to say. I'm going to let it be a surprise. I'm going to let it be a surprise and uh, just enjoy the fact that uh, that you can get a few bucks off. And we'll thank Gary uh, in the in the meantime. If you also haven't picked up Gary's book, Single Pilot IFR Pro Tips, real-world pro tips to make IFR easier and safer, I highly encourage you to do so. I have one of the books right here. I've read it. I hope you'll read it, and I think you'll find it uh, very valuable and, and get some good things to put into practice. Now, today's presentation is a former Mentor Live. It's edited a little bit. We'll talk about that in a moment, but uh, it's a former Mentor Live. It's Collaborative Critique. And this is with uh, NAFI President Paul Prydecker and Susan Parson, the former special assistant to the FAA Flight Standards Service and editor of FAA Safety Briefing Magazine. She also led the project for the ACS. Now, the two of them got together and they created this collaborative critique presentation. And the general idea behind this, and I'll let them explain it a little bit more, but it's how to get the most out of a debrief. How do you get a student to understand what happened and what might happen in future lessons and and generally their thought process is get them talking about it instead of trying to sort of rehearse the flight with them through your eyes let them rehearse it and see if you can't figure it out through their eyes so they've got a couple scenarios that they'll work through like i mentioned it is edited we cut it down a little bit for time and so you'll notice that it sort of jumps right in with uh, an explanation of the first scenario 
But uh, again, I think it's really worth a listen, and I think you'll enjoy it. Um, one last thought is that if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, please do. Uh, the more subscribers we get, the more listens we get, the more of these podcasts we can do, and the more cool information we can share. So without further ado, Collaborative Critique with Susan Parson and Paul Pranicker. Enjoy. So let's let's uh, take a look at tonight's scenario. This is going to be fun. Um, so tonight's scenario, and we we decided to do some uh, fairly realistic things here. Paul is actually an airline pilot. Um, he doesn't fly GA as often as he might want to, um, but he's decided he wants to regain currency and proficiency in single engine general aviation aircraft with the glass cockpit avionics. And guess who's his instructor? That would be me. Yes. Um, and so after, uh, here's the scenario that after a pre-flight briefing, we've reviewed all the things that we're supposed to review, um, done all the things that we want to do. And now we've gone out and we've done a flight and it includes all the usual things that you would expect. Uh, sometimes people call it the FAA ballet, mm -hmm. um, stalls, <laughs> slow flights, steep turns, emergency approaches. Um, instrument practice, instrument uh, practice in this yes, case, we've included. Um, obviously takeoffs and landings, and now comes the post-flight debriefing. So let's get right into it. So what we're going to do is to work our way through an entire collaborative critique, and Susan and I will be facing each other to make it a bit more realistic, and let's see how this unfolds. Okay. Okay, let's move to the, the the first slide, and we'll get right into it. So, Paul, uh, we I we've had a good first flight here. So uh, let's let's start by having you replay everything. Just kind of go through and replay the whole thing for me, start to finish, how it looked to you. You want me to talk? I do. Oh, you, you, hmm. okay. Well, you're the first one that's ever asked me to do that. I was expecting you to tell me everything. Well, I certainly have some observations, but what I'd like to do is to start by having you replay everything from how it looked to you, and let's uh, let, then we'll compare notes on how it looked to me and see if there are any differences that we need to address. Okay. Well, this will be different, um, but let, let's I'll I'll play, I'll play the replay. Um, so after we finished our pre-flight briefing, um, we went out had a look at the airplane. Uh, I showed you what I was looking at. You seemed to just be observing, so I mm -hmm. took it that that was okay. Um, since this is the first time I was actually in this airplane, uh, we took a little bit of time just for a um, cockpit familiarity, cockpit layout, switchology sort of thing. So I, I appreciated that because it's uh, again I'm I'm it, it was mostly familiar to me, but because it was a new airplane, especially with new avionics. Um, just a, some time to sit and get kind of acquainted was was helpful to me. Um, well, we did we did an engine start, and the avionics in this aircraft are not what I'm used to. Um, they're not in the um, in the airline environment. They're completely different. And the last uh, single engine aircraft I flew um, had a simpler GPS. Mm -hmm. This had 
more multifunction display, um, primary flight display, and it looked like it had about six ways to get to every possible menu item. At least. At least. <laughs> yep. So I felt like I needed some time to kind of work my way just through some of the basics. So um, we did that. I was feeling a little bit overwhelmed by what the what the technology was able to do. But nonetheless, um, I felt like I had a kind of a, a handle on the basics. Um, well, let's see, what else did we do? We, uh, we cleared the area and we started our taxi and uh, we did a run up, uh, just what I was used to seeing in other aircraft. And after um, the run up, we um, made our announcements and just did a normal takeoff. Um, I did notice that during the takeoff roll, my centerline control was um, a little wobbly. I think I have an explanation for that. Um, but we took off, um, we climbed to, you know, the altitude that you gave me. And from that point, um, we worked on power settings for various configurations. Again, this is the first time I've been in this airplane before, um, more or less could transfer some of the numbers from other airplanes to this one with a, with a few differences. Mm -hmm. So we did some, um, power settings, configurations, looking at kind of pitch power trim relationships, uh, just so I could, you know, know what to expect in other phases of flight. Well, tell me about the steep turns. Do you remember when we did that? Well, I do remember steep turns, of course. Um, after we took off and did the um, power settings and things like that, we did kind of the, what did you call it, the FAA ballet, mm -hmm. steep turns, slow flight stalls. Um, one thing interesting about the steep turns, I don't know if you noticed this, but I, I was aware of it. Um, once I got the turn established, when it was time to roll out onto the, the uh, after the 360 degrees, I initially made the turn in the wrong direction. I did see that. So it started to overbank a little bit. Um, the, the reason for that, not an excuse, but the reason for that is that in the um, aircraft I fly professionally, the attitude indicator is actually a sky pointer. Ah, okay, that rather, makes sense. Rather because, than a traditional okay. attitude indicator. So when you're using a sky pointer, um, you actually turn the airplane in the direction of the pointer to bring the airplane back to straight and level, which is different than a normal attitude indicator. So that's one of the reasons I wanted you to talk first, because I wouldn't have known that, and I wouldn't have even known to ask you about that. I would have just thought you were doing something strange. So strange, strange would be a possibility. Yeah, strange sure. would be a possibility, <laughs> but in this case, now I understand what you, I, I understand why you did that particular thing. That's right. So um, talk to me about, uh, we, we went to, I took you to an airport that doesn't have a tower. Mm -hmm. It was pretty busy. So talk to me about that part. Well, before we, before we talk about that, let's talk about what else happened in between, okay. just so that I'm trying okay. to, you know, read, reconstruct everything here. Um, once we did the turn, once we did the um, maneuvers, so we did the slow flight, um, and that went okay, different mm -hmm. than what I was used to doing because mm -hmm. I, I traditionally learned slow flight with a stall horn blaring. Mm -hmm. This was a, um, a different version of that, mm -hmm. but I understand it. Um, we went through a stall series, and then um, you did the, let's do a simulated emergency descent. Um, 
I wouldn't say I was that caught me by surprise because I knew that any kind of a checkout might involve that. Um, but what it did do was it reminded me of how fast a single engine airplane of this type can come down and that trying to pick a field and a place to land is time critical. Mm -hmm. um, out of that, we did a, a simulated go around at a higher altitude. Mm -hmm. And then we went on to the, to the um, non-towered airport. Mm -hmm. So I'm not used to working in non-towered airports. I'm used to having controllers tell me every move mm -hmm. to make, um, setting us up for typically an ILS or a visual mm -hmm. approach. And it's everything is pretty well scripted out. In this environment, I certainly remember teaching this, mm -hmm. but it had been quite a long time before I, uh, or since I had done um, pattern work, getting in, into the pattern, looking for traffic, knowing when to make the base to final, or downwind mm -hmm. to base and base to final turns. So it, that was okay. Um, my first approach and landing, however, um was not my best effort um i was a little bit high and a lot fast um and being a lot fast meant that it was essentially going to be unstabilized mm -hmm. um so that um i recognized pretty quickly that that was not going to work out well so we went around um now tell me about the go around the go around had some challenges because um in my airline environment when you of the flying pilot and you do a go around, you command everything else to be done in terms of picking up the gear and raising the flaps. I wasn't very cooperative, and was you, I? You, you weren't playing and <laughs> it was just a throwback to what I'm used to. Mm -hmm. So the consequence of that was I felt like our pitch attitude got a little bit high mm -hmm. um, because of the flaps were still in. And it was just one of those things where I had to go back and think, oh yeah, I'm single pilot here. I need to act like that. Mm -hmm. So we cleaned up out of that and came back around and did another approach. And now I think what happened was I, um, I overcompensated mm -hmm. a little bit because I felt like now I was a little bit too low. But nonetheless, we, we landed out of that. I think I'm struggling getting the sight picture mm -hmm. of what that should look like. Um, so we, we did land out of that. And then on our next departure, I asked if we could do a um, right traffic mm -hmm. just for a different, a different view. So we did right traffic to the same airport and you must have wanted to complicate that a little bit more because we did a simulated engine out to a landing off of that one. We, we did and that was, <laughs> it was partly because um, yeah, having seen you work through it in the in the practice area where we had some altitude and we'd already done one go around, then I felt like uh, and you had already done one landing. Now I think you were ready to um, to to try this in a GA airplane. Not that you couldn't do it, but when you're out of practice and just like you said, I, th I think you're absolutely right that the sight picture was a little different for you. Mm -hmm. um, and I it did seem to me just like you said that. Uh, there, there were a couple of times when you were, I, I think the way the, the polite way to say it is you were a little behind the airplane. Flailing. Flailing, there, <laughs> yeah. There was probably some of that too. But that's uh, that's normal when you're flying anything that's new and different to you. Just like I would flail if you put me in the kind of airplane that you normally fly. Oh, I can't imagine, so. Um, I can. The, the other element of all of this, which um, I, I guess was a distraction, 
not in any one particular phase of flight, but just in general, was learning the avionics on the ground and using it in the air for two different things. Mm -hmm. um, there were times when I felt like I was a little bit too occupied with trying to manage the automation. Um, something that, that obviously needs to be stressed is that you still have to look outside because we have a nice day and there were other people in the pattern. So the mm -hmm. focus for me should be don't get too absorbed in the automation. Make sure we're maintaining um, vigilance outside the airplane. And then after we did our work at this airport, um, you suggested that we go back to the home airport and we did a practice instrument approach, mm -hmm. uh, which went pretty well, struggling a little bit with adapting the, that approach in a single engine airplane to knowing when to extend the flaps, when to extend the gear. Um, I don't believe I could pull over everything I do in the airlines to, to this environment. Mm -hmm. There's some crossover, but just to kind of get back familiar with when's a good time to slow down, when's mm -hmm. a good time to put the gear out. So that needs a little bit of work probably. Yeah, that was something I noticed because um, I, one of my rules is if you already know how to fly and you're doing something, as long as it's not unsafe, I'm not going to try to break habits that you've got established. Um, but I certainly was paying attention to when you put the gear down mm -hmm. because um, you probably waited a little bit longer than I would have in a GA airplane. But I understand why you did it because you just explained that to me. So if that is something that works for you and you don't, uh, you're, you're confident about that, then, then we'll, you can just continue to use that. Well, I'm not sure if it works yet. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's one of the takeaways is it seemed to be okay, but maybe there's an alternative. All right. Well, we'll look at that in a, uh, yeah. in a second. Okay. And then we finished up with some short field, soft field techniques, mm -hmm. which had been certainly a long time since I had done that. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed on that was, uh, especially on the uh, soft field demonstration, just trying to get the sight picture mm -hmm. correct with the nose up. Um, it was okay because we had plenty of runway, mm -hmm. but in a real soft field environment, runway might be limiting. How about the short field? Well, how did that I, look to you? I thought the, sh the the short field was the way we the way we did it with brakes on and full power and we used the appropriate flap setting for short field. Um, I, I thought the roll, the takeoff roll itself was fine. What I probably missed was getting to the appropriate V-speed. Mm -hmm. So not hitting the V-speed as I should m could potentially mean down the road, the obstacle clearance at the end of the runway. At, at the airport we were at, obstacles weren't an issue, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean the technique shouldn't be there. The technique should be there. Okay. Um, anything else that you can think of? Um, I don't think so. I think some things may come to me as I, as I kind of do a more of a review of this. Um, I, I was aware of trying to divide my attention between inside and outside quite a lot and just getting a feel for the speeds that this flies at. Mm -hmm. um, our, our published approach speed in this airplane is um, 70 knots. Um, the approach speeds that I'm used to are 145 knots. 
pretty much to the ground. So this feeling of this is too slow, I'm going to fall out of the sky was a little bit hard to, you know, remember. And I've done a lot of instructing in single engine aircraft. So I, I, I've, lived, I've lived this for years, but I haven't had as much experience to where it became, it's familiar to me. Okay, well, that uh, your your replay matches pretty well with what I saw and with what I experienced. Um, I think that uh, what what I saw was that you were definitely not accustomed to the airplane or to the speeds. I think you were quite uncomfortable with the speeds because sure. there were several times when you were probably ten or fifteen knots faster than I think you thought you were. Um, because you were you were actually looking outside rather than staring at the airspeed indicator, which is fine. But I think that how it felt to you was it was still too slow, and how it looked to me as well as felt to me because it was was that you were you were too fast, and it's one of the reasons that we landed long mm -hmm. in one of the things. And it, on the long runway that I had you at, it was not a problem. But if we were at a different airport, which GA airports can be, that might be a little bit of an issue. Yeah, on our second on our second landing, I mean, I remember teaching people all the time that good landings start with good approaches, mm -hmm. and I think maybe one of the problems with the second landing, which I was a little bit low on the approach, mm -hmm. was that you tend to want to drag it in a little bit, mm -hmm. and again, that changes your sight picture mm -hmm. of what you should normally be looking at. Mm -hmm. So it needs work. Um, there are two yeah. other things that I, I wanted to comment on, both of which you addressed. One is that you, uh, what, what I saw in my replay as I go back through it is that yes, you are accustomed to a crew environment. And I was deliberately not helping you because you're not gonna have, you're gonna be flying with friends that you wanna take up mm -hmm. and you are not necessarily gonna be able to count on them like you would your FO, your first officer. So what I was doing was just sitting there and not doing anything to help you out because I wanted to, I, you need to know what you can do and how not to get overloaded. And the second thing is I definitely agree that you were, what I saw was, I think you were looking inside a lot more than you realized you were because you, um, the avionics are unfamiliar to you, but I think all of us, regardless of whether it's mm -hmm. familiar or not, I know it's a problem for me and I have to remind myself of it. We tend to look at the shiny things in the panel and all the fun moving stuff and not be looking outside as much. And when it's unfamiliar to you, it's even more of an issue. So I think uh, I think my perceptions and yours match up pretty well. Well. Remember, the the last general aviation aircraft I flew had a much simpler GPS in it. Mm -hmm. And I did what most GA pilots do. I know where the direct to button is. <laughs> but on this suite of avionics, it wasn't that obvious. I saw the direct to button, but then to actually get it to execute, I, I felt like I was stabbing at a few buttons. And it just, it, it's, it is a distraction. And it's a little bit of a time warp. Um, I know that for me, sometimes when I'm looking at it, trying to do something, you have no idea how much time has really gone by. Okay, but uh, now that we've done this replay, mm -hmm. now the next step uh, that I wanna take you through is let's reconstruct. What um, does that mean? Well, that means that um, we're gonna look at what, I, I want you to think through what you woulda, you coulda, or you should have done differently to, um, to, to address some of the things that, that you 
told me you thought you didn't do quite as well as you could have. Okay. So let's let's start with the takeoff role. Um, I, I mentioned that I felt like I was a little bit, um, it wasn't smooth mm -hmm. on the on the takeoff roll because the rudder pressures that I'm used to in the aircraft I fly is very heavy. Mm -hmm. In this aircraft, they're very light. So I think I just was overcorrecting and it would have been better for me to do what I used to tell my own students years ago. You're not looking for movement, you're looking for pressure mm -hmm. to make small corrections. And it's better to make small corrections more frequently than big corrections less frequently. So what we're trying to do is to make sure that our, our, our passenger is not aware of the inputs. All right, that's a good idea. So that I think is just, that can be solved pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, the, the takeoff, climb, level off, cruise, things like that. Um, I didn't see a big issue. I'm not sure I would have done anything differently. Uh, getting used to the trim mm -hmm. um, and a, a trim wheel mm -hmm. is something that is new to me because in the aircraft I fly, we don't have one. Mm -hmm. We only have electric trim. Mm -hmm. There is no manual wheel to trim. Um, the lag time on the electric trim in this aircraft is a little slow. So going to the manual trim was something that I think could have helped, mm -hmm. but um, just takes some getting used to. Steep turns, I think we've, I'm done with that. Um, I know what to do. Uh, although, the, although not actually, there is one more part. I, I was using inside references for, mm -hmm. for these maneuvers. If I would have gone back and looked where the horizon intersected the cowl and realized that this is a visual maneuver, I could have probably mm -hmm. known which way to turn out of it mm -hmm. without reference to the attitude indicator. So turn it more into an outside rather than mm -hmm. inside maneuver with just a casual glance inside. Um, tell me about uh, the approach and landing because um, one of the things that happened early on, uh, I, I've flown before with people who are accustomed to bigger, faster airplanes. Mm -hmm. So there was the speed issue that we talked about that you were a little faster than you could be, which is one of the reasons we floated. And the other thing was that um, a lot of people who've flown larger airplanes tend to flare higher. And I stopped you from doing that on one of the landings because, and you, to you told me about the site picture. Mm -hmm. So what are you gonna, how, how, would you, how would you do that differently? Well, I think that spending a little bit more time um, on the ground in the airplane looking at what this aircraft looks like in just mm -hmm. its normal configuration on the ground also will help. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is um, the transition to the flare. Um, I need to remember to do what I used to tell my students years ago. Look, look down the runway. Don't get too focused. Did you but, hear me saying that? I did. Um, I, I heard you say a lot of things, but yeah. <laughs> Um, that was one of the things that caught my attention, but looking down the runway is important mm -hmm. because if you don't, you either will see the ground coming up and flare too high or worse, not flare at all mm -hmm. because you get target fixated. Mm -hmm. So I think just getting used to that again okay. would be good. Um, what are you going to do? What could you have done differently to make sure that you weren't so focused on the avionics and looking? Well, I think maybe um, I noticed that you have a, um, the 
avionics suite simulator on your mm -hmm. iPad. Um, I might like to get a copy of that and practice beforehand. Well, and I have or, a present yeah. for you too. Here is, <laughs> Thank here you. is uh, for those of you who like paper, um, you can certainly get that mm -hmm. for your iPad and I'll make sure that you get the link for it. Mm -hmm. But here's another thing that you can do. Um, just go through this and do some chair flying. This is something that sure. um, I'm sure you've done in, in your procedures training for the airlines. Mm -hmm. but. It's something that you can certainly do here and work on the iPad. And that way you won't be trying to figure it out every time. Well, and the, the, the better I get with doing that in the comfort of a, my home or mm -hmm. in a classroom or something, then the easier it will be to do that when I'm in the airplane. But I did, I did feel like I was a bit overwhelmed with just trying to learn that plus also learn an airplane well you were yeah and another thing that i would say you you said when you were doing the replay phase that there were at least six ways to do it that's certainly true here's my advice learn one sure learn one and stick to it and the others will come to you over time but mm -hmm. if you if you get into that well you can do it this way or this way or this way or this way you won't remember any of them that's especially correct. when you get overwhelmed so pick one and just stick to it be consistent with mm -hmm. that is is my advice for how to fix some of that and i suppose the other thing that needs some attention is just making sure i am more deliberate with my power settings and trim settings as we're setting up to land mm -hmm. um again it's it's not something i've done in a long time mm -hmm. so it just takes a little bit of practice to understand that this power setting will achieve this result i still did feel that 65 or 70 knots was soon to drop out of the sky. I know better than that intellectually, but from what I'm used to, it's just a big change. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, um, now, now that we've kind of figured out some of the things that you could have done or would have or should have and will do differently next mm -hmm. time, now I want you to take another uh, a step back. We've replayed the flight we've reconstructed some of the things that could have made it better. Now I'd like for you to reflect a little bit on, you know, to step up a notch in the altitude and tell me what were maybe the top two or three things that you're going to take from this flight that you think were valuable to you and that you'll be, you'll, well, really that you'll be thinking about in the, in the next week or so. Well, the one thing that occurred to me was that, I've always considered myself to be the very best pilot I've ever seen as long as I'm not flying. Yeah, well, yeah, so. I, was, that was, I got to do that yeah. while I was in the right seat so. today. That's always a fun thing to do. So it is amazing that regardless of how much experience I've had in general aviation, flying and instructing, separated by about 20 years of airline flying, that uh, some of those things got lost or forgotten. And that it's important to take the time to make sure I understand this aircraft, um, even though you would think that I already have this figured out. But it's one of these things where the your skills are not going to transfer necessarily from one environment to another. So they need to they need to be practiced a little bit more. Um, the other part was. Um, understanding that my life as an airline pilot is a lot easier than a life as a general aviation pilot because one of the things I felt a little bit confused about, we, I didn't replay this, but it just 
pre-associated back into my head was when we were coming into the airport that we were um, doing our practice and our landings at, um, I didn't know a lot about that airport in terms of pattern altitude and things like that, because in the airline world, everything's done for you. The weather's done for you, the mm -hmm. dispatch is done for you, the fuel's done for you, if the airplane breaks, they fix it. So I kind of was reminded that single pilot general aviation has some challenges, which make it fun, but also change the dynamic of how well you should prepare for a flight. So I felt a little bit caught off guard by a couple of things that could have been resolved by maybe better planning. Well, and I think uh, one of the, the issues that I find sometimes with people who are, well, first of all, I, I try to keep away from the words moving up or down, but in mm -hmm. terms of uh, when you're flying a different airplane, it's just moving over. No airplane is necessarily harder or easier than another, no. and light sport aircraft that that's a completely different ball game because mm -hmm. there are still more lessons to learn from that. So, I, th I think the the lesson that what you're another way to say what you're talking about here is that you have to be respectful of every airplane that you fly, Indeed. and you have to take every airplane that you fly seriously and not ever approach anything with, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. My dad used to tell me, my dad was uh, in the Air Force years ago. He used to tell me that I should never think I'm bigger than the airplane. That's and, a good phrase. And that I thought was good advice. That is good yeah. advice. Yeah. So, uh, I, and I think those are good things to, to reflect on. So mm -hmm. now let's move to the, to another phase. I want to, I want to redirect your attention, your focus to, based on what you experienced today, the replay, the, the things that you reconstructed for how you mm -hmm. could have done better, the reflections that you just had. Now, now what are we going to take forward? What, what are you going to do next? How are you going to redirect your today's experience to making the next flight a better one? Well, we need to have another flight, I think, maybe two. Maybe it's up to you, but certainly us to sort that out. I think um, the big takeaway for me, is, as, as you say, re, as I reflect through this, is um, it, it'll take a little time to get comfortable again. Um, I want to get comfortable because I love GA and I want to spend some more time in it, but it will take a little bit more time to get comfortable and I need to be patient with that process. So I think that's the main takeaway. Uh, the other takeaway is that um, I miss a crew member. <laughs> Because having a, a having a two pilot environment certainly makes our life easier, but on the other hand, the fun of general aviation is that you can be um, you can always be in charge. That is a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, if uh, I I think I certainly agree that it would be a good idea to have another couple of GA flights where mm -hmm. you take this experience, you think about it through the week, uh, you study this book a little bit more. Use your iPad to do some work with the simulator, the online simulator, so you're more comfortable with the avionics. Mm -hmm. um, you can also, uh, we got it, you have a copy of the POH, so you can review I the do. speeds um, and just make sure that, that you get those in your head that this is what you're aiming for. Um, we redirect this by making another flight, I think mm -hmm. maybe another one, maybe another two, we'll see. Um, just to make sure that you're comfortable so um, we can, before you leave, we'll go by and, and make mm -hmm. sure that we schedule another flight, uh, maybe next next Saturday. Well, the other, the other thing, we, you talked about the POH, mm -hmm. was that um, 
you, you had me do a weight and balance calculation for the two of us, mm -hmm. which was fine. I mean, I, I, I could get, I was familiar with that, but I need to maybe go back. I'll just do that on my own time and look at what the true useful load of this airplane is, because I might want to have a couple of friends with me, you know, when I'm, when I'm checked out and just to make sure I understand what the, what the operating envelope looks like with a more fully loaded airplane. Well, keep in mind, uh, I'm sure you, you remember this from the past, but the fact that you have four seats does not mean that you can take four people plus bags plus fuel. That's always a trade-off for that. Well, so I even, think that's a good- Even in my 121 environment, the idea of topping off the fuel tanks is something we just don't do because mm -hmm. then we couldn't carry any passengers. So it is always a trade-off. So it is always a trade-off. Yeah. So last thing I want to do in this um, is, is to review um, the standard. Now, mm -hmm. since you've been teaching and flying in GA, we've moved in a lot of cases from the practical test standards that you were familiar with to the, uh, the Airman Certification Standards, or ACS. And I have a copy of that on my iPad. I know mm -hmm. I sent it to you before. Mm -hmm. um, what I would suggest that you do now that we've had this flight is go back and review the the standards for some of the maneuvers that we did today. Most of it, you were pretty much on to what the standard was. I didn't notice that the actual numbers changed too much no. between the airman certification standards and the practical test standards. The heading airspeed altitude mm -hmm. references look familiar to me. Mm -hmm. What I did notice though, was there's a lot more emphasis on risk management. There is. So that, that's something that I would like to review a little bit more. I think that's a good idea. You'll notice that the, the ACS integrates the knowledge with risk management and skill. The skills, as you just said, um, the standard for the maneuvers is largely unchanged. But what you will see is that the knowledge and risk management elements have been integrated into that. And given what you said earlier about you're used to having a dispatcher and others make a lot of decisions mm -hmm. for you, the airplane that you're going to be flying in GA has less capability and you're going Indeed. to be responsible <laughs> for doing more. Mm -hmm. So the risk management is given the experience that you have, there's some things that you're going to have more risk tolerance for than say a student pilot would, but there are other factors that you definitely need to take into account. So, um, let's, what, what we'll, I'd like for you to do is to review that before we meet again. And okay. um, I'm not going to necessarily quiz you on it, but I think it would be good to just go through a couple of things before we fly next time. Could we work in some more instrument Absolutely. work? Because again, to fully take advantage of the avionics in this airplane, uh, I'm sure I can fly and approach the old-fashioned way, but I'd like to see how the new avionics will help, we'll, me, help we'll, me do that. We'll do some of those. We'll do that both coupled and uncoupled. So you'll want to take a look at, and I would really encourage you to take a look at the ACS for the instrument rating as well. And mm -hmm. uh, I know that you probably used to fly NDB approaches. We don't have those anymore. Yeah, I know. That's good. <laughs> That's probably good. So That's that good. might make things a little bit easier for you. I'm sure it will. So, um, well, Paul, it was a great pleasure to fly with you. I do. <laughs> good. I have a card and we'll schedule another flight before you leave today. And I'll look Perfect. forward to flying with you next time. Me too. Okay. So. Let's wrap up. That was a collaborative critique. So when, when, uh, if, if we moved back to the, how it works, just to, to review, one of, part of what we're trying to do here is to have the trainee 
at whatever level that person happens to be. And in, in, Paul, in the case of this scenario, um, Paul had a lot of experience. But we picked this partly because it was something that we could easily talk about, but partly also to make the point that regardless of the experience that the other person has, using this technique can give you a lot of information that you as the instructor otherwise wouldn't have. Um, I know that uh, there have been a couple of times when I've flown with airline pilots where early on I thought that was going to be a piece of cake. And there were all things, all sorts of things going on in the other person's head that I just didn't know. Well, I can assure you by being in the airline environment that uh, the challenges from one to the other are not always obvious. And it's always easy to make assumptions about a skill set that is assumed. You, you, you have a pilot who comes to you with 20,000 hours in their logbook, and you have a fraction of that, and you automatically assume that this person will certainly fly better than you and know more than you. That would be me. <laughs> and I did. It's, yeah. it's not always the case. And rather than assume, um, I think the key element here is to assess. And as a as an instructor, as we went through the scenario, um, Susan did simulated um, engine out at a higher altitude, just to make sure I was doing the right things in the in the cockpit. Um, it's always a good idea to just assess the environment assess your individual and go from there to be careful. The other part of collaborative crit critique that's um, you might run into at some point is you go to do the replay part. So how did you think this worked? How did you think the flight went? And the student says, I think I did great. No problems, I'm good. And you're sitting over there thinking to yourself, uh, yeah, but you almost killed us twice. And there's such a disconnect between the student's perception of themselves and the instructor's perception, and how do you handle that? And that's where the collaborative critique, this, the instructor will have to take a more positive role to always bring the person back to say, well, remember, this is what happened when we did this. I saw you do this. Because what you're trying to do is to build the situational awareness of your student. Well, and that's how we get into this. Mm -hmm. How do you know when somebody's ready to go? Mm -hmm. If if they have a good understanding of their own situation and can do a, a replay like we, we went mm -hmm. through here, then that helps the instructor uh, make the determination of, sure, this person's ready to, you know, to solo or this person's ready to get checked out in this aircraft and move on, you know, by themselves. Well, one of the things that you find with a student is that they will not necessarily have, in fact, they won't have the same level of understanding that somebody like Paul does in this in this scenario that we just played, but they can only develop it if they have a chance to practice and if they know that they're going to. Um, I know that, um, you know, one of the things that got my attention very early in my flight training. Uh, we were out in the practice area. I think this was on my second or third lesson in a Cessna 152. And my instructor said, take me back home. And I thought he was going to tell me how to get back to the airport. Mm -hmm. But what that made me realize is that, oh, 
he expects me to have awareness of where we are and how to get back and I better start paying attention and when you start a, a debrief by saying replay the flight for me and tell me what you think what you're doing is requiring that person to pay attention to self-monitor just like we talked about and to um, and a lot of it is when when you see that somebody knows that I made a mistake, but here's what I would do to correct it. That's how you know that you've transferred sure. knowledge and that the person is ready to move on. And the, the other part about this technique, this collaborative critique, is that you need to tell your students up front that this is what we're going to be doing. Because mm -hmm. as, as, we, as we sort of simulated before, Susan said, replay the flight. And I said, what? I thought you were going to replay it for me. If you set the expectation before mm -hmm. the flight that this this will be how we will conduct the post brief, then it, it will help you in your own situational awareness because you're going to be monitoring more things as the flight progresses and be better able to feed that information back to the instructor. So we have some um, we do have some questions that I see have come through. Um, let's see if I can. Um, we have a question here to ask me to explain what a side pointer attitude indicator is. Um, <laughs> he already did that for me earlier today, actually. So when you, if you have a standard attitude indicator and you make a right turn, the aircraft reference turns to the right. A sky pointer, however, sky, S-K-Y, sky pointer actually goes the opposite direction. So if you're in a right turn, the sky pointer actually is left. And the principle is you turn towards the sky pointer to put the airplane back to straight and level. They're fairly common on airlines. When I first got into an airline and saw that, I, I was confused. So going back and forth between a traditional attitude indicator and a sky pointer um, can cause a little bit of confusion. And we thought that was a good example of if I had not asked him to talk to me about what happened with the steep turn, I would not have understood that that's what he was referring to. Mm -hmm. And I've certainly had cases before. I remember one time I was flying with somebody who didn't understand the difference between um, in a 182 using the manifold pressure sure. and the throttle. And if I had not asked him to talk to me about it, I wouldn't have known what he didn't understand. Sure. I would have just, I would have continued to babble at him about your airspeed and this and that, but I wouldn't have understood what the real issue was. So mm -hmm. it's a way to get to the root cause. Exactly. Um, the other comment we have is from a, one of our viewers is, is this a new process? Um, she says she hasn't heard of it before. Well, actually, um, this is one of the things that um, I, I wrote about it for several years ago. We've written about mm -hmm. it in the FA Safety Briefing magazine. But I actually um, contributed a piece on the collaborative critique in the Aviation Instructor's Handbook, the edition that is out right now. But it's one of those things because there's so much material in the book, I think uh, not everybody has, has seen it. But we brought it up in the, um, in the presentation, the NAFI Mentor Live presentation we did a few months ago. And I think there were a lot of questions about it, which is why we thought that it might be helpful to do this program, as well as to do the, um, the article in NAFI Mentor Magazine. So 
it's not really so much that it's new, but it's not something that people have necessarily focused on. Mm -hmm. And uh, Paul, you, you've talked about how the airlines use it. They just call it something well, different. Well, we do this as part of our debriefs after training sessions and after checking events. Um, we don't call it collaborative critique. We call it facilitated debrief. It's the same principle. You are a facilitator encouraging your student and pilots to debrief themselves to get a better sense of what they know and what they understand. Whether you call it collaborative critique or facilitated debrief, it doesn't matter, but you, I think all of you can kind of see the principles. Um, we had another comment that this was good timing because the instructor just gave her first dual training today. That's great. Um, Congratulations. Um, we did have a comment about whether or not we did clearing turns and prior to these maneuvers. Of and course I, he did. Well, I forgot the first time, but then you reminded me. Okay. So, uh, yes, we did. And then uh, another comment about in, um, instructors, we're not always a teacher, we're also learning. Mm -hmm. So we can learn from our students mm -hmm. as well as from other instructors. Um, being a pilot is one of those things where there's never, a, there's, there's never a point where we're not learning something. Um, whenever I teach a class, uh, what, no matter what kind of class it is, if it's an upgrade class for our captains or something for new hires, at the end of it, I will always say, so tell me one thing you learned today, just so that I'm sure we're all on the same page. Well, and I, I've learned a lot. Um, I, I, I say this especially to somebody who's starting out and you know, giving your first duel. One of the things that you learn a lot about is you learn a lot about flying from the mistakes that you see other people make. Um, and that if you understand why they make them, um, then that gives you more uh, more tools for your teaching uh, toolbox. Mm -hmm. But it also, I, I've learned a lot about what not to do myself. There are plenty of mistakes that I hopefully haven't made because I saw other people make them first and decided not to. Well, and um, I, I have a presentation that I've given to our pilots and the, the basis of the presentation, it's um, the title of it is called Never Waste a Mistake. Mm -hmm. So you're going to make mistakes. Don't waste them. Learn from them um, and share them. I mean, that, that's what we do is we share them mm -hmm. sometimes. So.